When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarice and Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams off this week, but we're diving in on Anthony Schwartz, third pick for the Cleveland Browns in the 2021 NFL Draft. Scott's got numbers, and I have uh, kind of a feeble attempt at an Ellis Williams film breakdown, but I, I at least watched enough of Anthony Schwartz to help uh, inform my opinion a little bit more. And Scott, as we get ready to roll here, we at least have seen these guys have been at rookie camp, right? So we've actually, we're not, you know, we've seen a little bit of what they look like in a Browns uniform. Probably seen more of them than we would have at a normal rookie camp because there were only 18 players there. So everybody really kind of stood out, you know, um, <clears throat> there were only a couple of players per position. They had to bring in a couple of arms to actually throw footballs around. So yeah, we got to look at, at people and, you know, again, it's, it's basically walkthrough stuff. It's, it's kind of individual drills, the things that they would normally do the first 10 minutes or so of practice before they even do, you know, some stretching even sometimes. So it was very basic stuff, but, uh, but Hey, it was football players out on the field. And that's something we haven't really seen in person as a member of the media in a long time. And we did. I mean, Anthony Schwartz was one of the guys there. He's I wasn't there, but he's one of the guys that like people were tweeting stuff about and maybe saying a few things because he did. He dropped some balls. Right. Wasn't that sort of the initial view of Anthony Schwartz? Yeah, that kind of stood out. And again, it's, you know, it's like it's like a pro day. You know, somebody's not performing well. I guess it stands out a little bit because it's, you know, they're in shorts and T-shirts, although they're in, you know, their uniforms and shells, which is just like a, it's not real shoulder pads. It's just a just very small padding. So, yeah. So when you drop passes or you miss things, it stands out. You know, it's, if somebody has a really good practice, it's just like, well, they're playing against nobody, but what you don't want to do is have kind of a bad practice in that situation because it's going to get noticed. So that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean it's a bad pick, but um, so we're going to get into Anthony Schwartz. Scott has a lot of numbers on him. We'll talk about a little bit. I, I watched the Alabama Auburn game from last year, what he did in that game. And then I watched uh, some couple other film breakdowns by some other people had some Georgia film and that kind of thing. As Ellis always says, like may as well watch him against the best opponents and see what happens. It's like, well, you know, Auburn wasn't going to beat Alabama, but like how did Auburn use him in that game? So we'll get into that, but a, a, something you want to touch on with, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa Scott from the last got to watch the tape before we get rolling here. Yeah. In, in my race for power and glory last week, I forgot one small detail and that was to get a couple things, right. His combine information. I kind of messed up some of that. I basically had the wrong information. I can't even tell you whose information I gave you, but it certainly seemed right. <laughs> but uh, JOK in fact did not run the 100. I said he did. Also he did do the three cone and shuttle drills. I said he didn't. Uh, for the record, he was 93rd percentile in the three cone, 85th percentile in the shuttle. And those are all change of direction uh, 
type drills. So the overall point about JOK is that he's fast and athletic and able to do things that other linebackers on the roster can't. That still holds true. But I did want to point that out in case people were searching all of the internet for his hundred time that uh, I was quoting that actually did not happen. So that's okay. Stuff happens. And uh, you know, we, we, sometimes you put out numbers and we're going to make sure that we correct the record. Uh, if, if something goes a little haywire. So thank you for that, Scott. So let's get into Anthony Schwartz, third round draft pick for the Browns from Auburn. Start with the numbers side of things. Scott Pasco, dive in. I got to watch the tape. All right. So Anthony Schwartz has been described as, you know, words like unpolished or raw or underdeveloped as a receiver. And it's, it was so much during the draft process that you kind of got the feeling that he raced onto the Auburn football field, like Forrest Gump. And, you know, somebody said, get that guy a a Jersey, you know, but that's not what happened. All right. He is not like just a guy who runs real fast. And then one day somebody put football pads on him. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He was the 30th ranked wide receiver in his class. And he had offers from Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Notre Dame, obviously Auburn. So he does have a football background. I think that sometimes got a little lost uh, during the, the lead up to the draft. And then after he did get picked by the Browns in high school, he was coached by a former NFL player, Patrick Sertain senior. And he played with Patrick Sertain the second, who was a first round pick this year of the Broncos. So he's, he's played with good talent. He's been coached by, people who know what they're doing. He was also nationally ranked sprinter in high school, uh, which I'm sure most people have heard of uh, at this point. He won a silver medal at the under 20 world championships in 2018. He said in his introductory press conference last week that the Tokyo Olympics were pot were a possibility had they not been postponed for a year. So again, world-class speed uh, with Anthony Schwartz. How fast is he? He ran a 4.26 40 at his pro day. That would have been tied for the third fastest in NFL combine history had it been done at a combine. There's a couple guys who've run 2.4 or 2.24 or 4.24. And the Bengals, John Ross had that 4.22 a few years ago. So again, super fast. He's six foot, 186 pounds, which if you look at, you know, the other Browns receivers in the room right now, at least the top six guys, that makes him smaller than everybody except Jojo Natson, who's who's really tiny. He's only 5'7", 153. And I think at one point I went back and I looked, I compared him to Gerald Ice Cube McNeil from the 80s. And I think he he is smaller. It just came into my head now. I, I can go back and look, but he he's very small. Um, he's he's small, but he's kind of big for a fast guy, right? That like like Jojo Natson is fast, but he's really tiny and like Right. The guy that um, I, I'm going to get his name, his name uh, wrong again. It's not Danny Amendola. It's Andy Isabella. Andy Isabella, Isabella, our Northeast Ohio guy who was a second round pick of the Cardinals a year ago. He's a smaller, right? Like a lot right. of times, sometimes when it's the super fast guys, you think they're like a little gnat and like, he's not that small, but he's smaller oh, than yeah. like a normal receiver. Yeah. And I meant, yeah, I meant no Natson is really tiny. And, and you're right. Um, if you look at just uh, like pro day measurements, like a shot Bateman, he, he's basically five pounds lighter, about the same height as him. So, but you know, then you're talking about uh, how much of that is muscle, how much of that is, you know, whatever. And obviously he's a fast runner. So he's, he's pretty toned, but he's very, he's wiry. I guess that's how he was described a lot. He's not somebody who's going to, 
push people off the ball. Let's just say that. Uh, how did all that translate to the football field, though? He played three seasons at Auburn. And in those three seasons, he had 117 catches, 1,433 yards, and six receiving touchdowns. And if you're just looking at last season, he led Auburn in receptions, 54 catches, 636 yards, three receiving touchdowns. PFF gave him a receiving grade of 71.6. I mean, that's that's above starter level, a threshold for starter level. So he's not obviously among the best in the country, but he isn't, uh, obviously, you know, replacement level or backup level even. Uh, he had a yards per route run of 2.31, which is actually really good. Uh, and that stat considers the number of snaps a player goes into a route to kind of show how much they produce based off that. And that 2.31 would have been top 10 in the NFL last season. But in college football, it was about the 75th percentile for receivers. Explain again what that stat means. It tells us, does it tell us what kind of routes he's running? No, it's just the total number of routes run. And they're looking at how much yards you produce based on your total number of, of okay. routes run. So how, how you know, much you're on the field and how much you're producing. You know, guys like Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, you know, those are guys who lead the league in, in that stat. Okay. Donovan Peoples-Jones, by the way, did very well on that stat. Didn't have enough uh, snaps or, or routes to qualify for like the, the overall leaderboard but he would have been, uh, I think it was top 10 had he had enough snaps. So all those down from people's Jones fans out there, uh, that was something I guess that's a little promising about, about him, but that's okay. basically an overview of, of where we are with, with, with Anthony Schwartz, fast guy um, comes in needing some work, but again, he's a third round pick. So he's like right in that spot where, you think he should be challenging for a significant time, but will that happen on this team? We don't know. Yeah. I, I think there's a good playing time discussion that, that all this analysis will lead us to Scott um, yeah. later in the podcast. I do think off the top, I don't think you can deny that he's a fast guy first. And then like, I think it's reasonable to question almost everything else in his game, but I, I'm looking at a couple fast guys, right. That you mentioned like John Ross, he's a guy that, that popped to, to my brain. Um, Andy Isabella is a guy I keep mentioning Paris Campbell, another Northeast Ohio guy who was an Ohio state player um, who is speed first. Now Paris is thicker. Paris is like fast, but also really built like a football player. Nobody doubts that Paris is a football player, but he's really fast. The thing that I like, about Anthony Schwartz the most compared to all those guys is that he was drafted later than them, that, that there have been teams that take guys who are like, well, they're really fast, but like, then what? And then John Ross was the ninth pick in the draft. Andy Isabella and Paris Campbell were second round picks. Anthony Schwartz is a third round pick during the course of this podcast. I am slightly Anthony Schwartz skeptical at the moment, but I have a, th- I have like sort of a view of it that I don't think it was a bad pick, but I'm skeptical of what's going to happen with it. But the best part about it, Scott, is that it was in the third round. So like, that is like, you're, you're laying out a lot of this like baseline stuff with him. I can't, again, you mentioned John Ross. There's that big thing when, what was, was it? 
who was, was it a shoe company that was doing a promotion? Like if you could break four, two or something, there was a time when the 40 was really a thing. And like John Ross running a four, two, two was blazing. That was a blown pick by the Bengals. He's the number nine pick in the 2010 NFL draft. He's moved on to the giants. He never did anything in Cincinnati. So it's like, yeah, I think it's a, you know, to mention those guys in the same breath, Scott, not that you made a huge comparison there, but they're both really fast, but one's a first round pick top 10, and one's a third round pick. And that makes all the difference in the world when you're thinking about a guy like this. Yeah, I think it was 538 did a really good uh, a piece on how the NFL is in love with speedy receivers, but they very rarely work out. And they kind of trace it back to the Raiders and Al Davis and how they hit on some of those. And so that kind of became a trend. So now, you know, you want that receiver who runs the 40 really fast. Uh, but straight line speed is only so much, you know, you, you need to be able to run routes and stop and go and get off the line quick and, and, and understand how to run routes. And those are the guys who excel, not just the straight line speedsters. And John Ross is a good example of that. And the thing with Anthony Schwartz is that, again, he not a first round pick, like you said, but also he's coming to such a deep wide receiver room where he doesn't have to come in and, he's going to be eased into this, you know? So I think he's in a better situation for sure off the bat. There, there is something that just popped whenever you watch film on him that is really very specific kind of about like how he's used and, and that kind of thing. But the thing that I thought is, I think w- when he's on the field for the Browns this year, at least, he will always be the fifth option. Every other skill player on the field will be ahead of him on the options list, whether it's the two other receivers are running back in a tight end and he's a third receiver, whether he's somehow in with 12 personnel and it's two tight ends and he's one of only two receivers. They are, he is never going to be a primary anything ever, at least when it matters for the Browns this year. And that has to be taken into this evaluation because listen, if you were drafting this guy and saying like, well, I think he's our number two receiver right now. I, he can't do it. I don't think he could do it. But like, to your, like that is not at all, not at all what he is going to be asked to do. And there are definitely two separate discussions here. And I know we've talked about it, Scott, on other pods. I am most skeptical about him as a right now guy because there is the, well, what's he going to be? Is he going to be their third receiver? How much is he going to produce? How many catches will he have? How many yards will he have in 2021? And then there's the, what is he down the line? But your point that he's being dropped into a talented receiver room is, is very helpful for him and the team. Yeah. I think the, yeah, he'll be down the list of options when he's on the field. The key is making the defense think he's much higher than that, right? It's making them understand that he is on the field and have to account for where he is and what he could do. And, and stuff like that. Um, you know, we were talking about sprinters and John Ross and all that. And I think the most anticipated moment of training camp or even off-season workouts, if, if everybody shows up, will be one-on-one passing drills and seeing Schwartz matched up with Denzel Ward like on a go route. Like No matter what Schwartz is supposed to run on that rep, if Denzel Ward's across from him, you really kind of hope Baker t- tells him, Let's just have a viral moment here because that's, that's, I think, probably going to be one of the highlights of camp. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, the threat of that, and it goes back to, I don't want to, I mean, you know, Ted Ginn Jr. was a top 10 pick and he's like the fastest guy that I've ever covered on a regular basis with my own eyeballs. And 
Ted Ginn Jr. was absolutely a primary part of the Ohio State offense when he was at Ohio State. and He's been in the league for 15 years. But the thing we always talked about with Ted Ginn Jr. is just being on the field changed everything. And we talked about that with Odell last year. Just like your presence on the field just puts people on alert. And I think it's possible. I think Anthony Schwartz, this is a little far, Scott. I think Anthony Schwartz could catch zero passes this year be on the field for like 10 plays a game and help this offense because, you know, at some point they would figure out, well, they're never going to throw to him. So we don't have to be worried about it. But as long as he was a threat, right. And maybe they would throw to him and oh, they just missed it. Or he dropped it. Are they all I just the threat of it. I can see how it could help Scott. And I do think he is different than what they have, which is, goes to the heart of why he's here. He, he's that guy who you have in basketball. He goes and stands in the corner, and you don't really pass him the ball. And after a while, the defense just kind of lags off of him. And then all of a sudden, boom, he chucks up a three-pointer <laughs> because nobody's guarding him. Yeah. and and that, that, But he's a good shooter. Yeah. and that's, But you don't know it, whatever. Like He, he does have something here. So – um, there's another part of this, Scott, and I will say, again, when we get in the mini film breakdown, Auburn had him in motion all the time. He is constantly in motion. He is constantly like a jet sweep decoy. He's constantly a threat. What might he do as a runner, do you think, Scott? Yeah, I'm, gra- I'm glad you used the word decoy, which uh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, but you're right. Seeing him race down the field on a go route, that might not be how Browns fans are introduced to him. It he had more rushing touchdowns at Auburn than receiving touchdowns and all seven of those rushing touchdowns came in his first two seasons there. He figures to get carries with the Browns the same ways they used Jojo Natson in camp and on at least one carry before he got hurt. And then obviously Odell um, most notable was that fourth quarter run against the Cowboys where he kind of clinched it with the 50 yard touchdown run. The idea is to get your speedy athletic receiver out on the outside and create space for him to run. And that's really the added dimension of, of Schwartz's game. He ranked 14th in the country as a freshman, as a receiver with 27 carries that amounted to 211 yards, 105 of that came after contact, scored five touchdowns. So again, five of his seven rushing touchdowns came as a freshman. He picked up 14 first downs rushing that year. He also caused seven missed tackles. Now, obviously he's not busting through those physically, but speed, you know, speed kills. But his carries were dialed back the next two seasons. He only had 11 carries in 2019. He had two touchdowns. And then he had just four carries for minus six yards last season. So I didn't realize that until I started diving into that, uh, his numbers this week. And I wish I could have asked him about that when he was uh, made available to the media last week to find out what the deal was with that. Maybe the idea was to have him more as a decoy. Uh, but for whatever reason, he did not get the kind of carries he did in his first year. That was just something that kind of stood out to me. So he's running the ball, a lot of jet sweeps and arounds, things like that uh, at Auburn. Meanwhile, here in Cleveland, Stefanski had a wide receiver run the ball just seven times last season. And I'm guessing part of that is because Jojo Natson and OBJ got injured so early in the year. Jarvis Landry had four of those seven carries. But Natson's one carry was a jet sweep. Both of OBJ's carries were end arounds. And then Landry also had two jet sweeps. So the jet sweep has actually seen an increase in the NFL in the last couple of years. 
but the Browns really didn't contribute to that last year. And again, maybe it is because of, of the personnel and the fact that they really weren't left with that kind of ability on the wide receiver depth chart after, you know, what the second snap of week seven, but that's, that's where they are with, with that. And you bring in Swartz though. And then, like you said, that's, that's kind of the added dimension there and that they can have another person that isn't necessarily Beckham to do that. He's going to, you would think be a little better at it than Landry. I mean, Landry is a guy who can give the ball and run up the middle uh, behind the guards and, and probably get some positive play out of, it. but he's not the guy who's going to come screaming around the corner uh, on a jet sweep and, and, and get you a lot of yards based on speed, obviously. So what, one more thing about his running ability though, that I did, did want to mention Oddly enough, Schwartz is not a kick returner. At least he didn't do it in college. He told us that at Auburn, they had other players ahead of him on the depth chart handling that, and he just never, he just never got to a point where he was, you know, at the top of that. He did do it in high school, and I'd be surprised if we don't see Schwartz getting reps as a returner with Natson and Peoples-Jones during camp. Um, but for a guy that quick, it was kind of weird that, that you didn't see him out there doing that for Auburn. I don't know. I mean, the, the number one thing we love to talk about speed with returners is, but you got to catch it first. Like if you, if they have any doubt that you're not going to catch it. And if he has questions about his hands, I yeah. wonder about that. And I was not on the call. I did not talk to him at rookie camp or anything. What about a gunner? What about punt coverage with the guy with this speed? Because I've seen people suggest that. And he clearly is a track guy, but he doesn't, shy away from contact, right? I think he's physical enough and we know, um, I mean, you know, that, that can change the game in punt coverage. If you got guys who can win off the line of scrimmage and get down the field, it seems like maybe he, he almost has a better chance to help them in that part of special teams than as a return guy. You would think that he's going to have some role in special teams, whether it's as a returner or, or, you know, or a gunner, that would make a lot of sense, especially for a guy who's going to be at the bottom of the depth chart as a wide receiver, you want him to get on the field. It'll come down to whether or not he can tackle, right? I mean, yep. not, not everybody's good at that. I mean, Kaderil Hodge is on his team largely because he's good at that. Right. But that's something that they'll have to find out, I'm sure. And I think, you know, that's Mike Prefer can get to work and start teaching that guy how to do that. Because I do think, you know, again, I, I just don't, I don't think people should overestimate what his offensive contribution is going to be as a rookie. And they're obviously going to keep them around. And then they like, like, well, what are you going to do for us? And I do think there are going to be, um, I do think there are going to be some opportunities there. And it's one of these things, Scott, it's hard with a guy like this, right? You kind of got to go by what, how, what he did and how he was used, but also, you know, Gus Malzahn, his coach at Auburn is an offensive mind, right? But like, just cause they didn't use him certain ways at Auburn doesn't mean he can't do it with the Browns. Right. And, you know, Bo Nix, who was the quarterback at Auburn, is not great. I mean, there, there are some things like when you look at him statistically, when you look at the kind of stuff he caught, you can find some film where like, you know, he's kind of winning routes and they're missing him. They're overthrowing him. They're not hitting him on deep balls and that kind of thing that, you know, I think that's part of it too, that it, this guy's a little bit hard to get a read on because he's from a big time place. He was their leading receiver but I feel there's a lot that how he was used and what the stats say does not really tell you everything about what kind of player he is and what he might be. Most NFL teams, all NFL teams, are going, aren't necessarily going to draft you based on what you did in college. 
they're also looking at what you, they're looking at your traits. They're looking at, you know, whether it's your size or your quickness and, and things like that, because there is a difference between college football and the NFL, although it's, those lines are getting more blurred every year. But when you look at someone like Anthony Schwartz, they're looking, okay, we know that he can do this. Maybe they didn't use him that way, but we know that based on his speed, maybe based on his size, based on his ability to change directions, things like that, uh, that he's going to fit into our, our, our offense that way. You can look at someone like uh, Koromora the same way, you know, just because Notre Dame used him a certain way uh, on defense doesn't necessarily mean the Browns are going to do that. They look at him and his abilities maybe more so than, you know, what he accomplished in Notre Dame's scheme. I do think real quick on, on him as a runner still, before we move on to other things, in that Alabama game, uh, they did run him. They almost had him like almost lined up as a tight end, like a little bit of a trick play and ran an end around with him uh, against Alabama. And it looked like he was going to get to the corner and he got tripped up. Like he he's fast, but like he didn't quite take the right angle and some great Alabama freshman corner made an ankle tackle. And it looked like it might be a 30 yard gain and it was a loss of three. So like it was like an Odell type of thing, but he didn't, he didn't quite get it done. And I do think there's a lot of those, a lot of those motions, Scott, I could see like, you know, the guy comes in motion on a jet sweep, you hike it, you sort of fake to him on the handoff. And then he goes out in the flat and then you throw it to him. And sometimes those throws are backwards and they count as a, as a run, right? When it's sort of like a pass, they do that a lot. Like they do bubble screens to him, but there's a lot of motion stuff where it's like a little swing pass to the flat where he had one against Alabama where it looks like he was shot out of a cannon, right? That, I mean, they got it out to him in the flat and he get picked up 16 yards in half a second. And it's like, that might go down in a, in a rushing play in the books, but like you can see if you can get him in space and get him the ball, you know, there's kind of some stuff. I mean, he's just, he's faster than any, he's the fastest guy on the field. So that's going to matter. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there, there is some stuff though, Scott, right? Like you, there's, there's some questions, there are some issues and we've got to get into those. We'll do that next on got to watch the tape. Doug Maurice back with Scott Patsko. All right, Scott concerns. What are you, what are you worried about when you're looking inside the numbers here? Here's what PFF wrote uh, as the first item in their con section of their pros and cons about Schwartz quote, not a receiver end quote. That, that might be harsh, but uh, they, they also wrote more. No feel for route running or ball skills. So, again, what I mentioned off the top here about how he's described as a receiver that needs development, um, that's true uh, based on even just, you know, one rookie camp practice that, that we were able to, to see. Uh, and pretty much anybody that's done uh, a draft scouting analysis of Schwartz is going to include things like that. So he had eight drops last season on 63 catchable targets. That's not a great drop rate. And scouts also had concerns about his size and being able to be knocked off routes. In fact, for a guy with his kind of speed, his yards per catch were pretty pedestrian. He averaged 11.8 yards per catch in 2020 and only 12.2 for his career. Only 11 of his 117 catches at Auburn gained at least 25 yards. And Auburn quarterbacks were three of 16 on targets of 20 yards or more to Anthony Schwartz, although two of those were touchdowns. Now, we should mention uh, Auburn's not really producing big-time talent at QB the last few years. Jared Stidham 
who is with the Patriots now, was throwing to him in his first year at Auburn. The last two seasons, it was Bo Nix, who has completed less than 60% of his passes at Auburn. So got to figure out how much, how much of that is Schwartz, how much of that is, is quarterback play. I'm sure they both contribute. With Baker Mayfield, though, Schwartz is going to have a quarterback who was very good at throwing deep. Last season, he was fourth in the league in, com- in completion percentage on passes of 20 yards or more. Uh, he was right at 50% on that. And over the second half of last season, uh, he had a 95.5 PFF grade on deep throws, which was tied for third. And we all know Baker got better over the second half of the season. He had a passer rating of 129.7 on those deep passes uh, over that stretch, and that ranks sixth. So he's going from Auburn's level of quarterback play to uh, uh, NFL quarterback who who really came into his own, especially throwing throwing deep last season. So that's good news for Schwartz. So yes, he needs work as a receiver, but Browns wide receivers coach Chad O'Shea, which gets a lot of praise uh, from from folks. He knows that Schwartz comes in with the one thing you can't teach or develop, and that's speed. He can work with somebody to help them with route running, with catching. I expect to see Anthony Schwartz, you know, is one of those guys who's staying after practice with the jugs machine. Um, there, there's guys every year who are out there doing that, and he seems like a, a really good candidate for that. But speed is why he's with the Browns. So fancy said that that's really the part of the game that they're most excited about with Schwartz. He said he's a guy who, if you have that speed, the corner also knows you have that speed. And as you line up, now you use that to your advantage, which kind of gets to your point about the fact that they don't have to throw to him. He doesn't have to be targeted to have an impact on the passing game this season. He needs to be out there and he needs to be aware of the fact that he is so fast and he is a threat that way. I have real concerns. He's not, he's not a deep threat. <laughs> like the, the numbers that you said, Scott, it, like from a production standpoint, he's not. The numbers that you said, this guy – most of what he does is bubble screens and little quick stuff. And then he runs, which is how Paris Campbell was used to, again, was very, he had 90 catches his last year at Ohio state was a second round pick by the Colts. It's a, it's a very kind of specific kind of thing that it is, it is not a Tyreek Hill run down the field and get behind the defense and kill teams that way right now to, to just add into some of the, the numbers that you cited in terms of that uh, last year, he was, Eighth in the SEC in catches. He had 54 catches. He was eighth in his conference, the number of catches. He was tied for 22nd in the number of catches of 20 yards or more. That was seven. Now that might, and that includes balls where it's a one yard throw and he runs at 19 yards, right? Mm -hmm. And he only had two catches of 30 yards or more the whole year. That was tied for 33rd. So this is a speed guy who's in the top 10 in his conference in catches, who's tied for 33rd in long catches. He had two. Like, that's the whole year. And so I think some chunk of that, maybe more than 50% of that is Bo Nix. And by the way, Bo Nix is the son of Patrick Nix, who is the quarterback who went to the same high school as Freddie Kitchens. They were star quarterbacks. Freddie Kitchens, when he was a freshman and a sophomore, had to play receiver and catch passes from Patrick Nix. Then Patrick Nix went to college, went to Auburn. Freddie Kitchens took over as the quarterback, was the quarterback as a junior and a senior in high school. And then Gadsden High School 
at one point had the two starting quarterbacks in the Iron Bowl because Patrick Nix was the quarterback for Auburn and Freddie Kitchens was the quarterback for Alabama. And now Patrick Nix's son is Bo Nix and is the quarterback at Auburn. Listen, man, I went to Freddie Kitchens town <laughs> for four days. If I have any extraneous, I have like all the people that I interviewed for the huge Freddie Kitchens package I did. I have all their old interviews and my computer is too full of stuff. So I keep having to delete things and I'm like deleting the interviews with like Freddie Kitchens, junior varsity baseball coach um, because he's, he's not the coach here anymore. And I figure I don't need it. Um, if Freddie Kitchens was still the coach here and I thought he was going to be the coach that was going to bring a Super Bowl to Cleveland, I'd be saving all those interviews for the book, baby. <laughs> there ain't going to be no Freddie Kitchens if, book about the Browns. If Freddie Kitchens was still here, what you're saying is a couple of years from now, he'd be trying to get Bo Nix here. Oh, yeah. No, saying? yeah. I'd be like, oh, Baker, I feel like you're looking over your shoulder at Bo Nix. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I do think Bo Nix is a, is a somewhat legitimate contributing factor to, the, to that, right? That, again, even just watch a little bit of film, you can see a couple times when there might have been something there and he, and he just missed them. But, man, two, two 30 yards or more the whole year, like that's just not – because I think, Scott, automatically we think speed, we think deep threat. He, that's not what he is right now. He might develop into it. But I just, I just, I just don't see it because I think he lacks some of the other things beyond speed that go into being a guy who can beat a corner and run forty yards down the field and catch a deep ball. So, how does he fit then? What, what, what is the right fit? And I guess I don't know. Do you are you talking Scott sort of specifically in twenty twenty one, and or how much do you think of a difference there might be between twenty twenty one and then later in his career? Because the whole thing before the draft that we said was are they going to draft a receiver for the moment when both Odell and Jarvis are no longer here together? So that's a different part of the equation for him. But where do you think he fits? Yeah, I'm thinking about this season specifically. I think, and we've talked about this before on other podcasts, he doesn't seem like the guy who's going to step in to either of those roles in 2022. It just seems very unlikely that he has the talent to do that or that he will be developed enough to do that. And they'll be willing to accept his level of talent in either of those spots um, in 2022. Uh, his, his snaps uh, at Auburn were kind of evenly distributed between the slot and out wide. So there is that he, he is a little bit versatile in that respect uh, as far as where you can put him on the field. But again, they, the Browns are going to have to figure out what he can digest the quickest to get him out there because Again, you're right. He's not, he's going to be used on short passes and, and bubble screens. And although Stefanski really doesn't throw bubble screens, but definitely jet sweeps, we expect to see him in those kind of situations. But that can't be it. You can't have a guy who's just on the field doing that because then everybody knows that, you know, all right, 90% of the time he's on the field, that's the only way he's touching the ball. So they need to make sure that he's able to, to run, run routes and, and get open down the field and, and be somebody that the, the defense really has to consider as a receiving threat. But when he was drafted, I started thinking about the wide receiver room and how that's going to look when week one gets here. Because as I mentioned before, the Browns have their top six guys from last season. Actually, those six guys, OBJ, Landry, Higgins, Hodge, DPJ, and Natson, that, that, that was your top six from week one last year. So it's all the same guys. Obviously, we know... OBJ and Landry 
are, are the expected starters, but they re-signed Natson. He was a free agent. They re-signed Higgins, and then they tendered Hodge to come back. So of all the players, of all those six players, those three guys, Natson, Higgins, and Hodge, seem to be the candidates to get bumped out by Schwartz because it doesn't seem very likely that they're going to have seven receivers going into the season, especially on a team that had three receivers on the field less often than almost every other team in the NFL last season. Natson seems like a prime candidate, but like we said, Schwartz wasn't a returner in college and that's Natson's thing. And it's not like people's Jones had a breakout year as a returner. He averaged 4.3 yards per punt return, which is, I, I could probably average 4.3 yards. Yeah. Like they, one they punt could return. use some help. They could use some help there. And it's just, it is it's a little odd Scott that like he doesn't, he doesn't do that. It is, it is, right. there does seem to be opportunity, but he has, he hasn't done it. And then there's Hodge. The Browns made him their third wide receiver last year, which kind of surprised everybody. And they were very quick to tender him this off season. And obviously they're not giving up on DPJ after one year. And then there's Rashard Higgins, a guy who they've let walk twice in free agency and have taken him back again. So I don't know if that's the battle here. I don't know if that's the, the, the spot that is really the one that Schwartz is, is, is fighting to get. Higgins has, has been moved around the lineup a lot. Obviously, he's not a speed guy. He's not going to do the things Schwartz is, can do, but he has played in the slot. He has played out wide. Uh, so from a receiver standpoint, that might be the target. But again, it's which one of these guys is going to get knocked out by Schwartz? And, and like we said, he doesn't even have to have a significant number of snaps this season to, to, be, to have an impact on this offense. But how he fits in here, how they're going to use him seems kind of obvious. Who gets bumped out is, is what's kind of up in the air right now. So I think he's going to have practically no offensive stats this year. I mean, I, I, I really do. I, I think we've had, you know, a discussion maybe right after the draft or along the way on, on other Orange and Brown Talk podcasts. You know, he's, he was a third-round pick. He was, I just double-checked, I think he was a 15th receiver drafted. He's a third-round pick. It's like, hey, third-round picks are expected to do something. He is not going to be their number three receiver. I mean, there's no chance of that. He is not going to be more productive than Rashard Higgins. I don't think he's going to be more productive than Hodge or DPJ either. Like, I just, I, I just don't know. I don't think he's ready for it. And, you know, we mentioned the drops at rookie camp right off the top. Like, it's not a big deal. I don't think it's coincidental. I don't think it's like a fluke. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think he's a great receiver. I don't think he has great hands. He probably was nervous and like, He's not going to come out and set the world on fire. Like, but I don't think that's going to automatically go away the rookie, his rookie year in the NFL either. I think that's going to be, you know, he reminds me of David and Joku a little bit. Like he is a supreme athlete and okay. We hope all the other stuff about playing the position comes along and listen, David and Joku has come a long way. David and Joku is a productive player and he's a much better blocker than he used to be. And, you know, he doesn't, drop stuff as much as he used to, but it's been a long process with him. Right. And he's still a little bit in a state of flux, right? I mean, he's a player. He's clearly a good NFL player who can help the team, but he's in a little bit of a weird spot. And like, I don't know what his long-term future with the Browns is. I just feel like Mitchell Schwartz has a chance to fall in between a little bit, Scott, where like he's a third round pick. He's intriguing. And like four years from now, we're going to be like, well, he's intriguing, but are they going to give him another contract? Like, what? Well, like I just, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, 
I want to have a discussion about like whether it was a good pick or not, but given his profile, Scott, that's how I'm thinking about him now for this year and beyond. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up how many receivers are picked ahead of him because it's, I think it's might be difficult for Browns fans to wrap their head around the fact that a third round pick is basically, it could be like a, you know, a five to 10 snap per game guy. That's, that's something new for the Browns. Uh, usually a guy taken in the first three rounds is going to get significant playing time. And this is just kind of a new situation, especially a wide receiver, which is a position that's so deep that he can have a specific purpose on this team that is used minimally. And, you know, obviously they hope it'll have a large impact. So he's not someone who has to come in and, and win a quote unquote starting spot. He's definitely not going to be that number three guy, but there were a lot of receivers taken ahead of him. And maybe in another year, he's not a third round pick. Maybe he is, you know, a, a fifth or sixth round pick in a different year. So I think it is something that is kind of like just a new step for this franchise that they are so deep at multiple positions that they were in fact drafting for depth. They were not drafting for need necessarily. And Schwartz, I think might become an example of that. Now, a couple of years down the road, you're right. There's going to be a serious discussion there. All right, we you, you spend a third round pick on this guy. Does he deserve a new contract? And then you then you get into the whole value of the pick and did you mess up? And, and, and did you get what you wanted out of that pick? Like Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State is the guy that I thought. I think we all thought they'd probably take a receiver in the middle rounds. I don't think any of us were shocked that they took a receiver in the third round. Scott, is that fair to say? No, no, I, I expected them to do it on day two. So Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State winds up going in the fourth round to the Ravens, like in, I think, 131. So like 40 picks later, he was the guy, I, you know, what do I know? But the guy thought, oh, that might be a spot for him here. He put up pretty big stats at Oklahoma State for his last three years. He had a year, his second year at Oklahoma State, he had almost 1,500 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. He's not as explosive as Schwartz. I think he's more of a complete receiver, more polished. But to me, what this is, Scott, this is, and I hate uh, uh, one of the best things I think uh, uh, this is a hint for podcasters out there. Say a thing that you hate that podcasters do. So that's your out and then do it anyway. Right. So then it's just like, cause it's a cliched, stupid thing, but sports writers do this all the time where it's like, well, I either think the result's going to be this extreme or this extreme, but it's not going to be in the middle. And it's like, well, what do you mean? It's not going to be in the middle. You either think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame or he's going to get cut in training camp. That is a ridiculous take to have. Like, how could those two things both both exist in the same universe? But I'm a little bit there with him, Scott, that I think like, listen, if he pulls it together and he's like the fastest player in the NFL and he's also a good receiver, like he changes the offense, right? I mean, if he's their Tyree kill and we only say that because he is a super fast, productive guy who's used the right way, right? I mean, nobody really thinks that. But any version of that, oh, my God, it's a game changer for Baker Mayfield and for the Browns, right? I think he might, like, get cut in the year. Like, I like I just – I think he might be a whiff. I, but the idea, Scott, is I think they probably know that too. So they took Anthony Schwartz ahead of a guy like Tylen Wallace, who I think has a much bigger middle than Schwartz does. But to your point, for what they want to be, there are metrics, Scott, that I think we've at least we've talked about. I don't know if we've referenced it on Gotta Watch the Tape, but like, you know, the Browns by 40 time, according to their guys on their roster, they were one of the slower teams in the league or whatever. 
They needed some speed. So they rolled the dice on a guy who, if he is any, if he's 65% of Tyree kill, it's a huge hit. And if it's a miss, they're willing to miss. They're willing to miss because it doesn't devastate them. He was the 91st pick. They're fine. And it's worth the risk where Tylen Wallace is like, well, how good is he going to be? Is he's a, if he's another Rashard Higgins, it's like, well, we have Rashard Higgins. And we're not even sure we want him. So why are we drafting another guy like that? Let's take a guy who's either going to be a lot better or a lot worse. And I think that's what they did. But we have to be aware of the like, it might be a lot worse and he might just wash out. Yeah, I think this is a challenge for the coaching staff, right? Because you can't, you're not going to make Rashard Higgins faster, right? You, you work, so you go out and you have the absolute fastest receiver, and now you just need to make him a better receiver. And that's, that's the job of the coaches, make him a better route runner, make sure he's catching the ball correctly. Just all those things that they work on all offseason, all the things that uh, Dave Njoku had to improve on, you know, and he has over the last couple of years. Uh, that's, that's the job of the coaching staff to, to make that happen. And they do have some, you know, a few years to work with here. And if uh, three years down the road, if he's a guy who can get Richard Higgins snaps, maybe that's a win, but right now he's clearly somebody who needs work to, uh, to be something that I'm guessing someone that I'm guessing they're comfortable with putting on the field for a significant amount of time. All right, another quick break here on Gotta Watch the Tape, and we'll come back and do a couple quick little film things. Not quite Ellis style, but there are a couple plays I want to talk about from Anthony Schwartz. We'll do that next on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, Doug Lamarie is back with Scott Pasco on Gotta Watch the Tape. This is Scott is like uh, shaking his head. It's like, why is Doug even attempting this? I am not Ellis. But I did rewatch the Alabama-Auburn game from last year. I, I want to bring up one play that we talked about. If you guys want to go find this, it's on YouTube. It's the Auburn Alabama game. This is at 1620 into the cutup. It's third and 11, 10, 16 left in the first quarter. Alabama or Auburn has third and 11 from their own 10 yard line. And this is another example, Scott, Anthony Schwartz is always in motion. They have four receivers on this play and he's the guy that goes in motion and he goes in motion from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen. And it's just like, He's in motion all the time. And this is a classic Ellis play because he doesn't get the ball here. But this is an example of what I was talking about of how he, I think, can help them, Scott, without getting the ball. As he came in motion, you could see the Alabama defense shift. And we know Ellis goes crazy. He loves Kevin Stefanski pre-snap motion. The corner that slides over is like a little bit late to get over to where Schwartz is. And so he's running down the hash. He's running down the seam here and he's going to be open because the defense is a little bit late to react. If Bo Nix leads him down the middle, the safety help is not there. This is a 90 yard touchdown if he decides to throw it, but he doesn't, but instead he throws short to a tight end who is open because Anthony Schwartz cleared out that side of the defense the tight end catches it two yards short of the marker. The defense can't get to him. They get a gain of 13 on third and 11, Scott, on a play where Anthony Schwartz and his speed going in motion made Alabama adjust, and it opened up an easy throw to the tight end. I can see, right? You got Jarvis on one side, Odell on the other. Schwartz motions from one side to the other, and the result is like clearing out an opening underneath for Austin Hooper. That makes a lot of sense to me. 
Yeah, last season, you know, that's that's Odell going in motion and, and clearing people out, and then they lost that. And now you have Schwartz in there, and I think he's not going to be as big of a threat as Odell, but the goal is to get him to the point where they have to respect that. And the defense is shifting, and the safety does have to be ready for Schwartz uh, running, you know, running a deep seam route or, or down the post or whatever. Um, but you're right. That's just, that's the Browns offense is clearing out space and throwing to the people underneath, whether it's uh, Hooper or Harrison or, or one of the running backs, that's, that's the way the Browns move the ball. And this is a good way to get the job done. I think you're right. Schwartz, you could definitely see him having that kind of role and just the key is just making the defense pay attention to what he's doing. And we talked about a lot last year and Ellis brought up a lot of plays like this where early in the year, you know, Odell's clearing stuff out and they lose that. Now this is a second guy, Scott, right? This is a second guy who has enough speed that a defense has to respect it, that he does have the ability to open some things up for other guys. And especially Scott, I mean, I don't, you know, we hope Odell Beckham, we hope every NFL player is healthy the entire year, but I think a guy like this would have helped them at times last year, Scott. Right, because once Odell as the speed guy is gone, they just don't have another guy like that. In a world where you know, if there's a game that Odell misses this misses this year because he gets abducted by aliens, Mitchell Anthony Schwartz will become, I think, even more important in a game like that because at least he's a threat, and they didn't have that once OBJ was out. Well, here, here's another thing too: is even if OBJ is on the field, and you also have Schwartz on the field, you have two guys who. Uh, who are fast, if you're playing a defense that's playing a lot of single high safety because they're bringing their other safety down into the box because, you know, the Browns have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, those guys face a lot of eight-man boxes. Now that second safety might have to drop back, and you can clear out run uh, space for the running game as well because you have these deep threats on the outside that they have to respect, and one safety deep cannot handle both of those guys. So that's another area where we're having more speed uh, can certainly help the Browns out. All right. This is another play. This is kind of like a football player play that I'll be curious to get your view on Scott. This is uh third and 10 in the second quarter. It's 1104 left. Alabama's up 14, nothing at this point. They have a trips bunch set at the top of the formation. Uh, Anthony Schwartz is up there. He's the middle guy. He just waits a little bit on his release and lets the inside receiver kind of set a natural pick for him. And he's going to catch a slant over the middle. That's a little bit behind him. And he does make a good play on the ball. He catches the ball with his hands. It's a little bit of a speed guy thing on this slant open the, over the middle. He's wide open because they schemed it that way. And he does get the first down. And at the end of it, he gets blown up and he fumbles. And it is a little bit, Scott, it's like fast guy. They freed him up with the route. He makes a good catch with his hands. And then when like the football players get to him, he fumbled. Now they reviewed it and his knee was down a nanosecond before he fumbled. So it was overruled. This was not a fumble, but it's a little bit, Scott, on this play, he looks like a fast guy. He looks like a trap. And then he looks like a trap guy. Because Patrick Sertan, a first-round pick, comes in and recovers the fumble, and it's just like, man, guys fumble sometimes, but he, the stuff you talked about at the beginning, he ends up looking a little small to me on this play when two big football players come to take care of him. Yeah, I'm wondering how much the Browns would run a play like this because 
like bubble screens and those short, quick passes and slants were something the Browns did a ton in 2019 when Freddie Kitchens was the coach. And Odell like built his career on the slant and they, him and Jarvis both caught a lot of those uh, quick bubble screens uh, for the Browns, but they don't produce a lot. And Stefanski did not do it in Minnesota and he didn't do it again last year. I think, uh, what was it? The first, the first game of the year when they went over a quarter without getting the ball to Odell and they finally threw a bubble screen to him. Like it was clear that that was, just a way to get his hands on the ball because they don't usually run that play in a Stefanski offense. But again, maybe things change now and, and maybe Schwartz is, is a guy that they use in those situations, but you, you really want to get him into space. Like you don't, you want to keep him away from players. You want to turn it into a punt return that where he has clear lanes to run, you know, uh, he isn't going to break tackles and, uh, things like this might happen. He makes me nervous in traffic. It, yeah. it, it, he does make me nervous in traffic. All right, so here's another one. We'll get to another good play at the end. This is another one that, that I don't think is great. Auburn at the end of the half, there's 20 seconds left in the first half. They're down 21 to three. They're in a hurry up mode. They're in field goal range. It's third and 10. They're trying to do a little more though. And they they wind up going to Schwartz here kind of as like a primary receiver, like you would go to a number one receiver here and they just throw him an out and it's not a great route. He kind of doesn't fight for the ball in the air. And when they're desperately trying to get points, he ends up getting picked because Bo Nix is a little bit late on it, but the corner jumps the route and Anthony Schwartz kind of lets him jump the route. And I, what I don't like about this guy, he just doesn't look like a number one receiver on this route. Like, hey, there's 20 seconds left. It's third down. We really need you here. And it's like, this is not him because this is like an actual route. This isn't a bubble screen. This isn't a deep ball. It's like, you can watch this off the snap, Scott. They're zooming in on him here. It just, it's not super crisp. Again, the ball's not exactly in the right place, but this is just like, no, this is not him. And there's a little bit of me that's like, man, third round, I'd like to see a little bit more here from a guy in a situation like this. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, you're getting into the argument of, okay, do you take a guy who's a little slower and a better route runner? You know, is is that, where's the sweet spot on, all right, we have enough speed, but we also have a guy who, uh, you know, runs a route better than that. And that's, this is something where you hope that, the time he spent working uh, with Jarvis Landry this offseason uh, is valuable. And you hope that being able to be coached by Chad O'Shea is valuable and that he does improve on those things. You have to imagine he's going to get better. You're just, I mean, Damon Sheehy Giuseppe, you remember him a couple years ago, fast guy, not a great tools guy as far as a receiver goes. But when I talked to him, he, he mentioned how much he had learned just in the short time he had been there by the time I got to him and he NFL coaching will do that. And Anthony Schwartz obviously has a lot more to work with than, than she Giuseppe did. And you're hoping that being around guys like Odell and Jarvis and and having good coaching changes that, but it's clear that it's not all going to happen in one year. No, it's not. He's not the third receiver. No, I just, I just want to put that. I, I don't want to be pessimistic. This is a risk. This is clearly a risk and it's good to take risks. I think it's a calculated risk by them, but I just don't want people to overestimate what he's going to do for this team this year. We'll show one last clip here 
Uh, and, they, and they can take risks. Yes. I mean, they're in a spot where they can take risks in the third round because, again, look what else they have in the receiver room. And I think it's like you got to spend money to make money. It's like rich people make more money in the stock market because they have the money to invest and they can take a risk. And if it doesn't work out, they're not bankrupt because then you can take another risk and another risk. And then when one of them hits and a stock makes 100 times your investment, you know, if you're a regular person, one risk kills you. The Browns are out of the situation where one risk kills them, which allows you if they do some stuff like this, they are going to hit on one eventually. And all of a sudden you're going to find a pro bowler in the fifth round because you rolled the dice. And I do like Scott, you know, Tyree kills a speed guy, but that was a character risk that Dorsey took drafting him. They got him in the fifth round. This isn't a character risk or anything. It's just an unpolished risk. Right. And it's like, this I think is the right kind of risk to take. So I'm not against the pick. I'm skeptical of whether it's going to work, but I'd do one of these a year, you know? I, I would take one of these a year. This is the last play. Uh, this, you know, Auburn's out of the game by this point. Third quarter, 834 left. Alabama's up 28 to six. Second and four. I think this is the right play. And they're just, this is just free money. Schwartz comes in motion. They swing a little pass to him. And Scott, he's shot out of a cannon. He, he gets in the open field. He gets two blocks and it's 16 yards. Like it's nothing. And this is the kind of thing. Boy, is this a nice thing to throw into a middle of a drive against the Packers or the chiefs or the Ravens where you, it's just, it's nothing. It's a swing pass with two blockers, but you can see the way he explodes Scott that just they don't have another guy on the roster who gets up to that top speed that quickly. And if you can even do that once a game, I said, he's going to have no stats. If they can throw him one swing pass a game and he gets nine or 11 or 13 yards on it, that's something, but I think that's about it. But you can see when the speed gets in the open field, that's why he's here. Yeah. That, that play right there uh, is what the Browns didn't have, you know, on that final drive against the chiefs, you know, they didn't have that, that speed to just make something happen. Uh, they kind of hit a wall, I think, offensively at that point. And this is what they want. This is what Andrew Berry said he wanted when, you know, after the season, I think his first press conference, we need to get faster on offense and defense. And Schwartz is pretty much the big swing to do that on offense. And if you get Odell back, well, then now you're a heck of a lot faster than you were for the entire season last year. And if for some reason they keep JoJo Natson, well, they got a bunch of different guys that, could do this type of thing, but yeah, you're right. This, you, if you get numbers on the right side of the field, he's going to outrace people to the corner. And if you, you know, if that's the pylon instead of the the first down marker there, that's that's speed that that can make things happen. It's very possible. This almost might be a Nick Chubb pick because it's like, oh, oh, you want to put nine in the box? Okay, cool. Here comes a little jet sweep swing pass to the guy who runs a four, two, six. Good luck with everybody you had in the middle of the field, right? That this is, it's right. It's like an accordion on offense. You want to, you want to stretch the field both ways, like an accordion and you smush it in, right? When the offense, when the defense gets spread out, you smush it in and you pound it with Nick Chubb. Then they come in the box then you pull the accordion out. And now you're running this little swing pass to Anthony Schwartz. So I get it. I get it but this is how it's going to work. But like, you can't find a million plays where he's running past the corner 
and catching a ball over his shoulder. Cause like they just, mm-hmm. that's not what this is right now. Yeah. And again, I, I'm really interested to see how they develop him in camp and are we going to see those kinds of plays? You know, again, Baker's pretty good at, at throwing those deep passes. You imagine that they're going to give him opportunities to do that because if, like I said before, if this is all he does, then the defense knows this is all he does. You have to show them something different. And like Donovan Peoples-Jones has, has decent speed, but the difference between him running long last season and, and Odell running deep, there just wasn't the same kind of threat there from yeah. a defensive perspective. So Schwartz running deep, there also has to be that threat there. So he needs to prove that he can catch those aside from, from just doing this and the you know, end arounds, quick swing passes, bubble screens, stuff like that. Maybe he is a one trick pony. Maybe that's all he is. Yeah, he might be, but I do think that motion, right. And again, he see he, just cause Auburn did it doesn't mean they'll do it exactly. And they like to put Jarvis in motion or do some other things. But I do think the idea, and again, it goes back to the first play we showed, if you send him in motion, if Baker's constantly aware of this, and Baker's going to take advantage when it's there, you send him in motion, you get that read on the defense anyway. The defense is going to be worried about Odell more and Jarvis more and Nick Chubb more and Austin Hooper more, even though this guy's fast. But you send him in motion, and if they're slow to react and it off the line, he has a step on a guy, you're constantly aware of that. And I think there are moments here where Bo Nix wasn't aware of that. And it's like, listen, like they're, 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 they got a lot of people to worry about defensively. And if they're a little slow to react to, to react to Schwartz motion, go to him. And that may be where he does have some chances to stretch the field that he didn't do at Auburn. And if you know what, if the defense is just fine then just do, all right, we're given, we're throwing a little thing to Jarvis then or whatever. But I do think he's the fifth best guy. So even though he's fast, he's still the fifth best offensive skill player on the field every time he's out there. So, yeah, you got to be aware of it. But you're not going to put two guys on him. You're not going to, you know, like you're still going to be more worried about Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham. So I do think there's an opportunity there. All right, Ellis, we did the best we could, man. I, I, it's, that's, <laughs> Scott, it was like 30% as good as an Ellis film breakdown. So I apologize, but I tried. So we have some more draft picks that we'll probably dig into. They probably won't get their own full pod because they're not quite as interesting, but we'll keep doing that. We'll keep finding ways to break down the Browns with numbers and film. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. Make sure you're listening to the orange and Brown talk. So we'll have Ellis Williams back in the future for now for Scott Patsko. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on gotta watch the tape.